Good morning. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're in uh, week something of a series called Exceedingly Righteous. And uh, in this series, we're contrasting uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees with the righteousness of Christ. Said another way, uh, external righteousness, what I show, my actions, look at me, uh, with my internal righteousness or with an internal righteousness. And so this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in, in Jesus' teachings. In some way, uh, this passage right here uh, at the end, uh, though it comes in the middle of Jesus' sermon, is kind of a, a, like a halfway point uh, summarizing all that's come prior to, uh, where Jesus has talked about what's going on, uh, not just with your actions, but more importantly, what's going on in your heart. This morning, we're going to get into uh, the idea of enemies, enemies. And so uh, it might be easy for you to identify an enemy. Uh, They come uh, to mind right away, and and you can uh, say immediately when you became an enemy. Uh, And in our culture where we love TV, and and particularly right now, superhero movies, right? We know about enemies or things that oppose each other, right? Batman and the Joker and uh, Superman and Lex Luthor and the Detroit Tigers and winning, right? These are like things... That, that stand in opposition to each other. Now, last week we talked about how do we treat people who have hurt us the most. This week we look at what do we do with the enemy? What does God call us to do with the enemy? And we, of course, have to see how Jesus treated his enemies. And then that might show us how we would treat ours. Jesus' words here are kind of famous. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this one gets a lot of play. It says at the beginning, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And by the way, this was never actually said. There's not like an Old Testament verse that says, hate your enemy. This was an interpretation that happened from the time of Moses. And we've talked about this, how this kind of progressed, time of Moses, then into the Mishnah, then into the Talmud, and how it would move. And this was a misinterpretation of Scripture. It never said, hate your enemy. It just said, love your neighbor. And so they arrived at the conclusion, because we're human and we love to do this, they arrived at the conclusion, well, Jesus only told me to love my neighbor, so therefore I can hate my enemy. Jesus shows up and he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, but I say to you, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. I'm sorry, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, there are at least two things we're gonna have to understand. We're gonna have to know what it means to love and we're going to have to know who our enemy is. We're going to look at the latter first and identify who is our enemy. Who is your enemy? And then after that, we have to figure out what does gospel love look like? When Jesus says love, gospel love your enemy, what does that mean? What does that mean? So we'll start off with identifying who Jesus says is our enemy. Now, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about enemies. In fact, it's uh, kind of a common discussion for him on who an enemy is. His most famous teaching on enemies is a parable that we know as the Good Samaritan. Now, I can't get into the entire story this morning, but I'll tell you the conclusion of it. The conclusion of this uh, story is that your enemy is your neighbor. See, the teaching was love your neighbor. 
And then Jesus comes in and he says, okay, you guys all understand what it means to love your neighbor. So let me tell you a story that'll prove to you or show to you that your enemy is your neighbor, therefore excluding those who you get to put on the list of do not love. Now, by the way, this is a good thing for us. Because in the same way this teaching um, makes us not have a list of do not love, it shows us that God has a list that is empty of those who he will not love. So who's your enemy? Your neighbor. What do you do with your neighbor? You love your neighbor. What do you do with your enemy? You love your enemy. Now in this opening line, when he says, uh, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, both the word there for enemy and the implication of persecution lead us to believe that this first level of enemy and what you're going to see through this teaching is how the enemy progresses uh, from vi- in a sense of violence um, into um, nonviolence. And also, I think in our uh, day and age or here in our country, in our culture, um, from probably what's most out there to what's most close. So in this first enemy who persecutes you, uh, Jesus is probably in there talking about what was coming very shortly for them, which would be actual, intense, violent persecution. This doesn't happen, thankfully, in our country um, very often. I mean, very rarely, or, or our style of persecution is, is much different than what our brothers and sisters experience around the world. If you've heard the story of the Iranian pastor a few years ago or things that happen in, in, in uh, the Middle East or North Korea or other countries, I mean, actual, intense, violent persecution against those who claim the name of Christ simply because they claim the name of Christ. This, in some ways, should be just a brief reminder again of the blessing we have living here, but also to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are beaten, murdered, tortured, simply for carrying the name of Jesus. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, He's talking to the 12-year-old boy or girl who sees their father drug out of their house and beaten or killed simply for being a Christian. And Jesus' teaching today matters to that 12-year-old who watches that happen to their parent. And Jesus says, and love them. Love them who would do that. So is your enemy those who would persecute you and intentionally harm you violently because of your faith? Yes, absolutely it is. I think if we stopped here, though, this teaching would be easy for us because most of us will never face anything close to that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. That's why it's such a brilliant teaching. He continues to move on. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's a little side note here that we have to hit. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, there could be a first read at that that would teach this idea that you have to love your enemy so that you become a child of God. At first glance, that's how that uh, tends to read. Now, this would mean that um, our love for our enemy is our entryway into the kingdom if we read it that way, which we know is not true because we enter into the kingdom not based upon what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. So we have to um, try to understand this because I do think it's important to the teaching. 
So earlier this week, Thursday morning, uh, there's been a guy who's been bugging me to go to this new like workout um, craze. It's called F3, and what it is, it's a bunch of guy, male Christians, men, they get together and uh, and they work out really early in the morning, like 5:30, uh, and it's all free, and you just get together, and somebody's in charge of the workout. So someone's been begging me to go to this thing. So I showed up to it, and I went to it, did the workout, almost threw up. You know, it was fun, right? Then we get to the end. When I'm exhausted, and they circle everybody up, I think there's like 15 or 16, and, and if you're the new guy, okay, they call you FNG, friendly new guy, okay, and so if you're the new guy, you get to go into the middle, and they um, ask you questions about yourself, and so you say your name, and this, and that, and all of it, it's very fun, right, so you do that. Now, when I got done, or not when I got done, when I was in the middle, I said my name, right, Stephen Whitlow, and some guy goes, oh, of the Whitlow brothers, and I was like, I didn't know that was a thing, right, we don't, we're not like plumbers, okay, but... Um, <laughs> But, but okay, sure. And then afterwards, I started talking to this guy, and he goes, oh, I, um, I, I figured you were your brother when I saw you doing that thing that your brother does. And I was like, well, I don't know what thing that is. Um, we have similar mannerisms or, or whatever it might be. But he goes, yeah. And so when you said your name, it confirmed to me that I was already what I thought about you being your brother's brother. Now, here's what he didn't mean. He didn't mean you must have become your brother's brother because you do the thing that your brother does. See, there's nothing that I could do that would make me my brother's brother if I wasn't previously my brother's brother. But what he was saying is you must be your brother's brother because you do what your brother does. Got it? You get it. You get it. Here's what he was saying. Here's what he was saying. You can't learn the mannerisms of your brother to become his brother. You have them because you're his brother. Here's what Jesus is saying. You don't do these things to become his child. You do these things because you're his child. In other words, you look at the Christian and you say, oh, you must be one. Why? Because you love your enemies. Because you love your enemies. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what his brothers would do. That's what his sisters would do. It's not saying do this to become. He's saying do this to show that you already are. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven so that you might show it to be true. Then he goes on and he's going to progress and he's going to say, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, when it talks about the sun and the rain in this particular passage, we can connect it to an Old Testament passage, which teaches us that really what Jesus does or what the Father does is he blesses those who are good and bad. And he gives good gifts to those who are good and bad. And so this morning, someone's going to wake up and they're going to experience the beauty of the sun and they're going to go kayaking and they're going to you know, mow their lawn and they're going to do something and they're going to live their life and they're bad and they're not a Christian and they don't love Jesus, but they're going to experience some of the same blessings and the same goodness and the same things that you and I experience when we're in Christ. This is called common grace. And Jesus is showing us the second level of enemy here. He says, both the just and the unjust. Who's your enemy in this case? The non-Christian. The non-Christian. The person antagonistic to the gospel. Now, why does Jesus bring this up? I think, he, now, by the way, I'm not saying that Christians are supposed to be opposed to un-Christians, non-Christians. Because what's the answer to how we're supposed to treat our enemy? To love them. What I think Jesus was rightfully getting at is that he maybe foresaw a day where people would say, well, I'm in and you're not, therefore I'm better. Or sometimes I think we actually treat people worse 
Or we look at the fact that they're a non-Christian and it validates our non-Christian behavior toward them. Oh, well, they're a pagan. They're not even a Christian, so whatever. I don't have to be good to them. They don't even know Jesus. And it's like we put them in a second camp. So we're in one, the good one, the holy ones. And they're in the bad ones. They're not even a Christian. They're not even a Christian. Why would I, why would I be nice to them? They're evil. Love your enemy. So who's your enemy? The unbeliever. What should you do? Love them. Jesus keeps going. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Tax collectors were not a good class of society. Jesus was using them to describe people who you don't tend to respect their morality. Even they do that. So who's the enemy here? It's the person that doesn't like you. The person that doesn't like you. Why don't they like you? Who knows? You're perfect. Why would they not? But they don't. Maybe it's merited. Maybe it's not. Maybe they've heard things or they've, uh, uh, things happened or there's whatever. And you don't even know why. They just don't like you. They're your enemy. And Jesus says, love them. You could probably come up with a list. Right now, five people. They don't like you. You don't know why. Love your enemy. Jesus keeps going. By the way, what, what he's doing there, he's making it so we can't cop out with the person who's our enemy. Because what some of us are doing right now are already building a case for why our enemy is the exception to all of these. Stop. You're trying to build a case on why. No, 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 no. If Jesus understood my situation, he wouldn't tell me to love them. No, he understood your situation better than you do. That's why he's telling you to love them. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Love the person who doesn't like you. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, uh, here's what I, I love this line. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, what's the point? What's the point of, of, of being the Christian who doesn't swear, doesn't watch rated R movies, goes to church every week, tithes, serves, reads their Bible, does all of these things, does all of these good things, but doesn't do this? What's the point, Jesus is saying? He's saying, what's the point of just looking like a righteous person if you don't let Jesus, if you don't let this gospel change you down here? What's the point of looking good and doing a couple of behaviors if you don't let the gospel change you into somebody who would love your enemy? If you don't let the gospel let you, uh, uh, all of the previous weeks we've talked to you through the last, this whole series, He's saying, this is real faith when the gospel changes you at this level. 
He says, if you greet only your brothers, he's literally talking about saying hi and being kind to somebody. Here's what I think this is. You know who your enemy is? The person who, when you're both in Starbucks, you pretend like they're not there. That person. That's your enemy. You know how you know that they're your enemy? Because you look at your phone and you see them. I didn't see him. Pretend I didn't see him. You know how you know when you or they are lying? When one of you says to the other, oh, I didn't see you. I didn't see you means I saw you and I don't want to talk to you, by the way. You go the other way, whatever. Your enemy is the person that you can't even muster up enough kindness to say hi to. He says, if you greet kindly, the word greet there, if you, if you, if you, if you say hi or, or kindly only to those people who like you, then everybody do that? Yes. Yes. When you understand this passage, there's almost a part of it that can be fun. There's almost a part of it that wakes up every day and says, all right, God, I have no idea who I'm going to run into you, but you know exactly who I'm going to run into today. And so when I go out there, um, I need to be like the best house on Halloween, passing out the biggest candy bars to everyone who knocks on the door, right? And so whoever you see that day, you're just going to be like, hey, take a, take a Butterfinger, take a Snickers. Like, like I, I don't know who I'm going to see, but when I see you, I'm going to want to walk the other way, but I'm just going to open up the door. Whoever's there, I'm going to be nice. Oh, and it's hard. I mean, think about this. Jesus has taken this teaching from the person who sneaks into your house at the middle of the night to kill you because you're a Christian to the person you stand behind in Starbucks. That's how much he's taken this teaching. And it's as relevant across the board and everything in between. That is your enemy. Now, what do we do with our enemy? What do we do with our enemy? We love them. We love them. We gospel love them. So what is gospel love? What is gospel love? Gospel love is a love given to those who don't deserve it. When you read the scriptures and see those who get into the kingdom and those who do not, it's a very humbling experience. Early in Matthew 5, Jesus says, those who are in the kingdom are those who are spiritually bankrupt, the impoverished. In another passage of scripture, Jesus says, you will get into the kingdom if you're like a child, completely, completely helpless. In another passage of scripture, Jesus says the sick, not the healthy, get in. In another passage, Jesus says the harlot gets in before the religious person. In each of these teachings, what Jesus is saying, he's looking at the person, he's looking at them, and he's saying the, the, the people who get the love of Christ are the ones who look like they don't deserve it. By the way, what this is supposed to mean for us is we're supposed to see ourselves as the recipient of a love we didn't deserve. Jesus is saying here that if you, you, if you want to be in the kingdom, 
Did you see yourself as completely spiritually bankrupt before him? Or did you see yourself as mostly good? Did you see yourself as a child completely in need of the father? Or did you see yourself as a a, a pretty got it together adult who just kind of needs a little bit of help? Do you acknowledge a spiritual sickness that existed inside of you before Jesus? A sickness of the heart, a sickness of selfishness, a sickness of rebellion, a sickness you probably still see that sneaks up inside of you now, even in Christ. And what happens? Christ extends love to you when you were in that state. Love, gospel love, is a love given when it's not deserved. What else is gospel love? Gospel love is a love given to the point where it hurts. In fact, that's kind of how you know it is gospel love. It's given in the midst of pain. Gospel love is Christ extending love when it cost him his life. When it meant he would be isolated from his father. Gospel love is a love given when it hurts. What else is gospel love? Gospel love is a love that when it is properly expressed, changes the recipient. In the Old Testament, it says that that, that understanding the love of God casts out fear. It changes you from somebody who's fearful to someone who's not. It says it teaches us how to trust. It gives us joy. When we understand gospel love, it's a love that actually transforms us. And gospel love is a love when it's understood, it compels us to do the same. We love why? Because he first loved us. And so love given out and and receiving that love now compels me to actually go back and to love the person who extended that love to me. Jesus says, love your enemy. Gospel love your enemy. Love them when they don't deserve it. And they probably don't love them. Love them when it hurts. When it makes you walk away and go, that was so hard. Love them in such a way that when Christ's love is flowing to you out to to them, that it actually begins to change them. A couple weeks ago, a lady in our church came up to me. She uh, kind of did one of these after church. I came up and started talking to her. And and she told me about how um, she had not talked to her mom in seven years. Seven years. And you know this, when silence ensues, uh, when the wall gets put up, uh, the person on the other side of the wall, the longer the time goes, the more evil they become in our heads. The, the more hideous their crimes, the more horrendous they are. So after a sermon Sunday, she picks up her phone. She calls her mom. After seven years... And what she told me is, we've been talking now. Almost every day, 
talking. Why? Why? Because love shown out when it hurt. Love, even if she thought she doesn't deserve this phone call. This kind of gospel love compels people to love back. It begins to chip away at the wall that's been placed. It's a love that begins to change, soften the heart. And oftentimes, it's a love that then begins to be reciprocated again. Christ loved you, loved you when you did not deserve it. He loved you when it hurt him. It hurt him to be betrayed. It hurt him to be uh, uh, denied by his closest friend. It hurt him to go to the cross and he kept on doing it so that it would change you, so it would compel you to love him back. And, and then when you did, you would become a child of the Father. And then you would do, you would do then what children of the Father do. They love their enemies. They love their enemies. The gospel love them. So now go and do the same.